Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 5, Episode 21 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. In terms of behaviour change, as soon as someone starts to feel shame, they disengage. And it's very then difficult to get them to re-engage because they'll feel like they've failed or they failed the app or they failed the programme that they're on and they won't want to re-engage. And a lot of these apps, they don't actually allow people an exit strategy and a re-entry strategy. You kind of feel like once you're out, you're out and that the door is closed then and you can't come back in. And, and in real life, you know, we all fail multiple times because you fail your way to the top. That's how you do it. And so, you know, actually these failures should be encouraged from the start. But the very first step is knowing why people have showed up in the first place, what's meaningful for them, and how do then we make it easy as possible for them to engage with their habits or behaviours. Hey Supers, it is my honour to introduce you to Dr Heather McKee. Heather is a health behaviour change specialist. She helps companies create evidence-based health and wellness programmes that bring about long-term change for their customers or employees. She also helps individuals to create healthy habits that last through her bite-sized habits course. In this episode, we hear all about Heather's squiggly career path, the barriers to living a healthy life, the different types of motivation, and much more. Heather is such an engaging speaker. It was a true joy to chat, and I think you're going to love it. People Soup is an award-winning podcast where we share evidence-based behavioural science in a way that's practical, accessible and fun to help you glow to work a bit more often. Let's just scoot over to the news desk because reviews are in for part two of my chat with Professor Ross White. Philip Addison on LinkedIn said, I listened to the podcast, Ross, which once again was extremely thought-provoking. I loved the observation regarding asking elite athletes how much time they spend on their mental, emotional fitness, which they acknowledged had a significant impact on performance. It would be interesting to ask managers, leaders, the same question. Absolutely, Philip, I couldn't agree more. And I hazard a guess we could predict some of the responses from leaders and managers. Thanks so much to Philip and to everyone who listened, shared, rated, spoke about it with a friend. Anything you can do to talk about the podcast is truly appreciated. We rely on you talking about it and sharing the podcast to help us reach more people with stuff that could be useful. People Soup is a true labour of love, so anything you can do to spread the word is much appreciated. You might help someone else get insights to help them glow to work. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part one of my chat with Heather McKee. Dr. Heather McKee, welcome to People Soup. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited you're here. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Now, Heather, I've mentioned my research department who've been digging out a little bit about you and sort of exploring your, your presence. And I've got some stuff to share with you. Uh-oh. And they don't always get everything right. So just keep an ear out for that. How deep did they dig? <laughs> well, honestly, Heather, I don't think there's anything alarming here. <laughs> But I just wanted to introduce you to, to our listener. So it says here, Dr. Heather McKee is a health behaviour change specialist. She helps companies new and old create evidence-based health and wellness programmes that bring about long-term changes for their customers and employees. Heather also supports individuals to take back control of their health and build healthy habits that last with her research-backed bite-sized habits course. And I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> How are we doing so far? Does that sound 
pretty yeah, bang on. pretty accurate. Right. Now it says here that they found out that you grew up in Ireland. Yeah. Who knew? No surprise there. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to Dublin City University where you studied sports science and health followed by an MSc in Physical Activity and Health Psychology from Loughborough University. And it says here, this is where you got really interested in health-related behaviour change whilst running a healthy lifestyle clinic for hospital staff. And you really had this thirst to understand why well-intentioned people, with all the resources they needed, couldn't stick to their healthy habit goals. So, you explored that a bit further, you were really so curious, and sat down with each person in the clinic to understand more about what was holding them back. And from that moment is kind of when you became hooked on the psychology behind what motivates people to adopt and stick to healthy goals. This took you to another location, to the University of Birmingham, where you completed a PhD in weight loss behaviour change psychology. And in this PhD research, you focused on how to set goals that lead to lasting changes and discovering the key strategies for long-term healthy lifestyle success and how to build these strategies to help people stick with their goals without having to resort to dieting. Interesting. I think, P-Supers, I think you'll be agog at this. We love talking about behaviour change. We love talking about habits too. So the kind of next piece of the jigsaw is that when your studies were published and released to the mainstream media, there was an influx of inquiries. People really want to know about this stuff. And you realise the importance of sharing your work outside of academia. So Heather now supports companies to build health and wellness offerings with measurable results and long-lasting impact. I've got a bit more. Oh, no. <laughs> if people aren't already asleep with that one. <laughs> no, listen, this is such a... It chimes so well with what we talk about quite a lot on People's Soup, the behavioural science. Mm. And it says here, and Heather is generous too. There's a free bite-sized course on her website at heathermckee.co.uk. And I'll make sure that link's in the show notes, of course. And it's designed to kickstart your healthy habits and start making lasting changes to your health in just five days. So from this free program, the intention is that people will walk away with the tools needed to start creating healthy habits that stick. People will get the evidence-based, research-backed blueprint for making lasting positive changes in their lives. Blimey, this is a free course online. Yeah, and it's only five days, so it's no pressure. <laughs> Now, it says here, Heather is a keen sportswoman and equestrian and was recently spotted not far from me, near Seville, showing great skills and control on horseback in El Rocío. <laughs> and it says here, I'm not sure whether you can comment on this, Heather, but it says so much so that she's now in early talks with Hollywood to have a side hustle as a horseback stunt double. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I can't disclose that as of yet. <laughs> but hey... Horse riding in El Rocío. I don't oh. think you can get any more Andalusian than that. I, to be honest, because it was in January, I couldn't really say... I was going to say it was a highlight of my year, but that seems a bit disingenuous and unfair to how incredible the experience was. But um, there's nothing like the experience of going through the town on horseback and just, we're all, you know, the beautiful church and the beautiful surroundings and you're there in your Western style. And I just thought, this is life itself i was just on cloud nine i look forward to visiting in fact there's a pilgrimage every year from where i live a, a town called Ginez outside sevilla there's a pilgrimage every year to el rocio and the little kind of covered wagons that, that make that pilgrimage and people walk yeah it's just an incredible place like even the bars 
have little bars that you can ride right up to and have your little sherry or your cava on your horse um, outside the bar. So yeah, the whole town is just made for horses and horse lovers. And yeah, it's, it's a wonderful place. It's fantastic. Oh, I, I can't wait to visit. Although I am not an experienced horse man, if that's what you call someone yeah. horseback. <laughs> Horseman, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> horse rider. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, while I try to cover up my lack of knowledge about equestrian activities, um, and that, was, that was my research department's brief introduction, but I wonder, we'd like to find out a bit more about you. I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us more about your career, how it's evolved, and how you've arrived at where you're at today. Just yeah. tell us some of the, the key points, maybe the pivotal moments, because it just helps us understand you and who you are and, and why you do what you do. Yeah. How long have you got, Ross? <laughs> well... It's a, it was definitely, you know, I think I heard this phrase recently, a squiggly career. I think when I started out, and this will show my age, that behavioral science wasn't really a thing. You know, human behavior change it wasn't necessarily a, a big field like it is today, or it wasn't kind of as well known as it is today. As you kind of rightly put out, I'm a very curious person, even to the point where <laughs> I was asking you just before you came on about what cup of tea you're drinking. And um, <laughs> I think I had to harness that for good, otherwise I'd be really irritating. So I brought my curiosity to understanding human behavior better. And it was, I think one of the pivotal moments was, as you mentioned, working in that metabolic syndrome clinic and just seeing people who had you know, all the perfect ingredients for change. So they had personal training programs, they had perfect nutrition plans, and yet they couldn't make it stick. And mm. when I sat down with them, I realized that every single person had their own kind of individual barriers. They all had their own personal experiences that actually were holding them back potentially from success. And it made me kind of curious as you can have all the perfect ingredients for health. And yet it was the method that they were missing. And I, I talk a lot about this a lot now in my work, but you know, how many of us don't know that we need to eat more vegetables or sleep better or manage our stress better or, um, you know, floss? It's not a knowledge gap, it's an implementation gap. You know, you think it's information that we need, but it's implementation that we need. And I think that's what got me started on that journey to understand more about implementation. How do we get people to turn their intentions into actions? How do we help them overcome those barriers and I think that was what a lot of my research was around was like why do some people manage to stick with their goals long term while some people can do it for a while but they fall back what are those characteristics and differences and can we train them and I always talk about you know I want to focus on skill power not willpower because willpower is a finite resource it's unreliable you know as soon as we get a bad email from our boss or we have a fight with our other half or you know our willpower is out the window as soon as someone puts a freshly baked cake in front of us you know it's all gone whereas mm. you know what I was curious about was skills and, and skill power and I think that's what formed my early research career and then I went a bit squiggly <laughs> because I think I burnt out a bit after a PhD to do with research and I, I ran a weight maintenance group um, for people in socially deprived areas in Birmingham and we were doing studies at the time. We were looking at if people had a normal diet and exercise group, you know, where they, you know, a typical weight loss group and then people had a skill building group. And what we found was that the skill building group were as 
successful at weight loss maintenance as those that just got diet and exercise, even though the skill building didn't get any diet or exercise advice. And they were, they were told not to adjust their diet or their exercise in any particular way. And yet somehow, you know, they lost the same amount of weight, but they also had incredible differences in psychological markers. And that was way more significant. And um, they'd reduced stress, they'd reduced depression. They actually had greater mindful awareness. You know, it was really interesting over time to see the effects of those psychological skills had. And it was working with these groups of people that made me think, you know what, I, I just want to be out kind of translating the research and as you said you know I was lucky enough to have a press release around a couple of my studies and I ended up talking to all sorts of newspapers around the world um, and at the time didn't have very much media experience so I was telling everyone about <laughs> all my habits chat away to people at you know the LA Times about my Christmas dinner and what I have and all not knowing that they would write a whole piece on it <laughs> like but you know it was all it was a result of that actually one of my pieces was picked up by the Daily Mail, which is not really one of those kind of highbrow institutions that maybe academics would think would, would be important to be published in. But actually it was, for me, that was a big pivotal moment in my career because it was translating the research into ways in which people on the street could understand behavioral science and how to apply it to their lives. And it, me it meant a lot to me. And actually reading through the comments of that, I really thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to translate the research into ways that people can change their lives right now. And I feel like if I stay in academia, I'm going to only share it really within academia. And, and so what I wanted to do was find a way of being able to share it outside of academia. Now that sounds all holier than thou and it took me a good few years to, to kind of find my niche with that and definitely nowadays the speaking is one of my favourite ways in which to do that but you know it, it, it took me I suppose long story short at that stage there wasn't behavioural science roles in, in, in organisations and so I was working with different charities helping them create wellbeing programmes especially around people with long term conditions helping support them with the psychological skills needed to actually engage in health behaviours and maintain them long term and while I was working for those um, consultancies I got asked by a couple of I did a couple of digital interventions as part of um, some of my research and then so I got asked by a couple of apps oh can you help us make our app sticky and then that kind of spiraled into then you know slowly working up to doing that full time I, I did have a a lectureship role in behavioural change psychology for a good few years and I was able to have that at one day a week so I was able to keep one foot in both camps which I think you know you yourself Ross you know do that and I, I think that's a wonderful way to kind of mm. stay engaged in both fields because I was really I was a bit sad about leaving academia in a way because I love research and I love learning more and I love the papers and everything else but I found the publication side a bit punishing and I really just love that you know working with people part of it so uh, I suppose I was lucky enough to over time now it wasn't easy but over time design my own career mm, lovely and I love the way you describe it as a squiggly career line because you know what I think I ask a lot of my guests about their career and, and they generally turn out to be squiggly and interesting and have those decision points and those kind of maybe experimentation points where we think yeah no, yeah, no, that's not for me, that is for me. And it's super interesting to see how it evolves and also how it evolves through hard work. None of these things you're describing happen overnight. No, and I think that's really, I think that's, I did a talk recently to a group of PhD students and I think that's a really important point. I get a lot of inquiries saying, oh, can I work with you or work for you? I, I just, what you do is so cool, like it's amazing. 
and and, and I'm always like you, you know it it took a long time to get to this point and even now you know I'm constantly and I'm sure as you are Ross I'm constantly evolving you know even over COVID at COVID everyone just wanted to talk everyone know, wanted to know how they stick to routine how they engage in habits everything and so then I started doing loads more speaking and realized geez that's something I absolutely love and you know now I'm trying to you know move my work maybe into that so I'm doing 50% consulting 50% speaking whereas before I would be like no I, I don't think I could be a speaker or you know that's not really what what I'll do but um I, I think that's the beauty of behavioral sciences ultimately now there are so many routes that you can go whether you want to work in an organization I get excited you know, I get these LinkedIn things that are talking about you know headspace is just you know, hired a chief behavioral officer and all of this. And I just think, isn't that wonderful? Like, you know, we're, we're, there's a human behavior science is spreading, you know, across the globe and people are really seeing the importance of it in understanding, you know, why people do what they do. Mm, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, I think lots of people are paying much more attention to it and realizing the power of understanding and, and looking to support people mm. to develop more healthy habits. So it seems you, you have this evolving desire to transmit useful stuff <laughs> to other people yeah that's partly what we're doing right now but I'm interested in the speaking element what what do you love about sort of I guess is a speaking engagement is that something where you go and talk for a company to a big group of people are there any examples you could share about about how you approach something like that yeah like I think for me so I'm doing a keynote in two weeks and it's it's in the midst of, you know, I, I was looking at the agenda when I was preparing the stuff and it was all about the financial uncertainty and, you know, it, it was a lot of doom and gloom. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go for something that might be quite lighthearted, quite enjoyable, but give people an insight into, you know, how they can learn about themselves and build their own skills within half an hour um, <laughs> um but in a fun way and I, I think for me like one of the key principles of behavioral sciences and, and I always talk about this you know if you can find joy then the rest comes easy and and I, I think that trying to design talks that are really joyful and interesting for people enhances intrinsic motivation which is the sticky motivation which is much more likely to engage people and much more likely to shift their behaviors in a positive direction of change and so I think the way I would approach that is I would think about what would I want to hear if I was in the audience right now what's going to push the needle for me and ultimately as well I want people to be able to walk away feeling like they've been empowered to actually make a change or that they've had their self-efficacy or their self-belief heightened around their mm. ability to make change happen and that's what's quite meaningful for me um I actually just got some feedback there from a talk I did last week and the woman said that she said she was so motivated afterwards she went out for her first run in six years literally just after the talk and she's like I didn't even know I wanted to run but there I was out running and that's that's something that I just yeah it's so meaningful for me and I think as well after COVID you know some of these in-person talks can be a wonderful way to just really I love sitting in the room afterwards and chatting with people and understanding what landed for them and what didn't and what are they struggling with at the moment and then trying to make sure I can design things that are going to you know help more people in the future I also just love a good chat as well about behavior change so mm. anyone who's willing they're silly enough to come talk to me about it they, they better save themselves a good hour of the day because <laughs> I'm always curious to find out more 
it's interesting we come back to that curiosity because I, I see that in you in our, in our conversations we had before today when we're recording. I see that curiosity in you and I think that serves you really well to think about things and how they will best land. And I absolutely agree. I mean, a lot of my work is around skills building. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I find that the more I am myself, the more people can relate to what I'm saying and take it and think about how they could apply it in their own lives. Do you mm-hmm. find a similar thing? Yeah, I, I love that you say that, Ross, because actually I was on a podcast recently and it was it's called Experts Podcast and it's all about experts in the field. And I kind of, I don't love the word expert because I always feel like everyone's an expert on themselves in a way and I'm just a specialist and I kind of, you know, try and evoke your own personal expertise out of you rather than kind of coming in and saying, well, I've all powerful and knowing and, you know, <laughs> would know more than anyone else. I'm just trying to get people to harness the strengths that they already have and, and use them to help themselves. But we I was talking about actually for so long in my, in my business, I was afraid to kind of be myself. I, I kind of still had that academic fail where I was almost, you know, afraid to kind of talk colloquially or make things like in more simple language or give an example from my real life or tell a story or do all of those things because I thought it made me look unprofessional and even you know I only put my website in my actual name only in the last couple of years because I was you know afraid to become my brand in a way because I, I'd seen everything that was happening on social media and I, I didn't really that didn't really resonate with me either and yeah I was afraid to be visible in in my business and it's only more recently now that my I suppose my confidence has improved and I've realised that, you know, at the end of the day, people want to know the, who the person is, you know, and they're not going to examine you or put you under a spotlight mm. or anything. You know, we're all humans and actually to be more relatable and to have examples from your real life is actually really what resonates most of people. And so everyone knows I fail at my habits all the time, you know, because that's something I'm so, you know, that's the reason I'm in the field that I'm in because I find it so interesting and intriguing and and I succeed at habits a lot of the time too but it's all an experiment ultimately and and I think I one of my roles in this and one of my passions in this is to help other people see that you know failure is okay and actually we all fail even those that study this day in day out fail constantly but you know failure is success if we can learn from it certainly I I love the humanity and what you're role modeling for us that's kind and I too would be a little bit wary and uncomfortable about being hailed as the expert because I think it immediately puts you on a bit of a pedestal and people are looking up to you. And in terms of habits and skills development, it can be that, hey, here's Heather or here's Ross. And they're just going to fix everything for me. I just need to sit back and bask in the glory of their wonder. And it's all going to be magically sorted. And actually, if we can demonstrate, I love it when you said, I fail at my habits because I think that brings the humanity and I think that self-disclosure we've found in in the work we're doing around building skills to support healthy psychological well-being that self-disclosure can be really powerful it makes people look at you and me and go hey they're just like me if they can do this and keep going even when they are unsuccessful then there must be something in these skills that is sticky And, you know, the funny thing is I've had to learn that the hard way as well myself because I would know a lot of this in relation to health because health psychology was my main field. But then when it came to starting my business, I had to apply the same principles in my business. 
you know, making small changes, building my self-efficacy over time, you know, not focusing on the outcome, but trying to fall in love with the process, all of these key factors that are necessary for long-term health behavior change were exactly the same factors that were necessary for maintaining, you know, the health of a business. And yet when I started out, I tried to do everything all at once and I thought I could make changes overnight. And I thought, oh, I remember when I posted my first blog, I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to go viral and, you know, it's going to go crazy. I don't even think anyone read my first blog, thank God, because you need to write about a hundred before you can actually write one that's decent. But, you know, it's quite funny because I learned these lessons the hard way in so many different other areas of my life all the time. You know, more recently, I had a, a hip operation. And after my operation, I came back too strong. I tried to win at rehab. I tried to succeed too quickly, which is something that we all try and do with our health. You know, we think in January, we're going to, um, you know, change everything and we throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. And then by February, we feel like, you know, a massive fader. And it's exactly, you know, I did the same with my recovery from my injury. And again, learned the hard way that you can't do that. You've got to be paced you've got to make small changes you've got to fall in love with the process and um, you know you have to understand what your why behind everything is what's your true intrinsic motivation and all of the key factors that are really important so yeah I'm definitely a good example of failing out and at time and time again but I think the important thing there is that I have that bounce back ability that I'm actually able to not say oh it's all or nothing I'm, I'm going to reflect I'm going to grow and I'm going to then change things as I go forward again Mm, I, I feel that tremendous sense of energy from you and that tenacity to keep going, perhaps recognising that sometimes you might just want to be the best at, as you say, be the best at the recovery. Yeah, I'm a, definitely and, a recovering perfectionist. So I have to watch that in myself constantly. But again, that's the beauty of self-awareness, isn't it, Ross? Like, and I, I think it takes a long time to get to that point. But I know you talk a lot about acceptance commitment therapy, and I find that that's such a beautiful tools for really helping you learn and understand and know yourself better and yeah I would certainly encourage people to engage with that work because it does you know can help in so many ways but certainly in terms of understanding knowing what your limits are knowing more about your habits knowing more about your psychological habits because thoughts are habits too which is often something that people forget and you know we can work on those just as much as we can work on our physical habits you know um, and I think that's that's quite important to remember. Mm, lovely and you've talked about motivation intrinsic motivation and self-efficacy are they some of the underlying principles that sit beneath what you do? Yeah I think motivation is kind of you know I, I like to say I speak in the language of motivation but what I don't mean is about you know being motivated all the time like people would normally think about it actually motivation is a lot more subtle and nuanced than that you know a lot of us think okay when we think of healthy habits we think okay right I'm going to lose x amount of weight or I'm going to do x amount of time in a marathon or I'm going to lift x weight in the gym or even stuff to do at work I'm going to earn x amount of money or you know and we look at those kind of outcomes and we think that they're going to drive us and then then a couple of weeks in you know we're striving for those and, and, we, and we make a mistake as we would call it and we feel like oh I'm never going to get to that goal I'm never going to get to that goal and we punish ourselves and but that goal ultimately only represents a snapshot in time. And it's like what I call um, slippy motivation, which is extrinsic motivation. So it's motivation when you're doing things for 
performance or appearance reasons so to look good in front of your boss or to achieve that like that special number and ultimately that's not what motivates us as humans long term we need to tap more into intrinsic motivation and and Rossi I love this intrinsic in Latin is the word inward and it translates into goods for the soul and, mm. I, and I love that phrase because it's like in essence like anything that nourishes your soul is what intrinsic is so it's about falling in love with the process it's about how you following a particular goal represents who you are in the world how it makes you a better role model for your children or allows you to better apply yourself at work or contribute more to your community and it's something i i I talk about a lot is like you know how can we start with why rather than a number because if we can start with you know I say find your why find your way and uh, mm. and, and you know if we can find that intrinsic that sticky motivation if we can find that why behind why we're doing something it makes it much more easy to engage with it rather than punishing ourselves because we're not a certain number on the scales we're actually saying well do you know what today when I went out for a run I felt really free when I came back I felt so accomplished or this morning I woke up and had a glass of water and a fresh slice of lemon it made me feel really refreshed and uh, just energized for the day or or you know last night I got to, into bed half an hour earlier and I woke up just feeling just much more calm this morning and just a lovely sense of self and achievement even before I started my day and you know, those are the feelings that we need to tap into, not how many nights did you go to bed at X time? You know, it's it's mm. more about actually the joy you get from engaging in that habit. And that's ultimately over time what keeps you coming back to it because it's a rewarding process. Yeah, I love hearing you speak because it really shows the sort of connection between what we both do, the, the really close connection. We're both working on developing skills. We're both working on developing new habits. And mine is more principally from acceptance and commitment therapy and ACT. And it's very much about what gives you personal meaning. Mm, What has meaning that helps you move towards this goal? How are you going to move towards this goal? And noticing what's going on. Noticing what's going on around you. Noticing what you're actually doing. Because quite often we're just on autopilot. Mm. And also noticing what our minds might be doing and that unhelpful stuff that our minds may be generating. Oh, look. You haven't been out on your bike today, therefore you're useless and yeah. you're never going to stick to this. But I love that intrinsic. Mm. That, that definition is, is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And it really speaks to that inner purpose and motivation and drive yeah. and how we can show that in our behavior. Yeah. I think it's really special because it becomes so much more than getting 10,000 steps on your fitness tracker. It becomes what walking allows you to do in your life or who you become when you're walking or you know how it contributes to your mood or so much more tangible and important things than 10,000 steps a day which is what you know others tend to focus on I you know I, I find that a lot when I work with corporates you know and, and then and they're sharing you know their well-being program they're like well we've got a step challenge and we've got a step program and and I'm like, which is great. It's great to get people engaged, you know, and often those extrinsic motivators can engage someone at the start, but they're not going to keep them engaged. And so we have to go back to, well, why would people want to get involved with this? What does it contribute to their lives? And as you say, Ross, how is it personally meaningful for you? Because why are you going to engage in something that isn't personally meaningful for you? Mm. And noticing how it contributes to our lives. You're making me think, um, 
because I had a bit of a lull. I love cycling, as I've mentioned. And I had a bit of a lull in January because I had this stinking cold that mm. absolutely knocked me out. And I wasn't on my bike. And then I was, it gets more difficult to get back on the bike. And then I was thinking, oh, I'll just do a, a, like a five kilometre or a six kilometre. And then I was noticing that sort of, oh, well, that's not very good. Six kilometres. And actually, six kilometres is fine. Because I know that when I'm out there, I notice the nature, mm. the animals, the birds, the flowers, the plants, the sky, the oh, sun, the rain, whatever it might be. I know I'm a better man when I've been on a bike ride. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? You're like thinking about that end point. Because I always say, you know, you can crave your healthy habits just as much as your unhealthy ones. And what you're focused there on, you know, with the nature and everything, you're creating... So when you're lying in bed, you know, weighing up the pros and cons, should I actually go for a bike ride or not? And if you're reminding yourself, oh, well, actually, I just love that feeling of the wind on my face or listening to the birds or that accomplished feeling I get when I come back in after the cycling. You know, if you're tuning into all of that instead of, oh, well, it's cold outside and I have to go get my bike from the bike shed and it's all, you know, all the friction. What you're tuning into is all the joys and the pleasures. And, you know, that makes it more you crave it more and you're more likely to engage with it because there is less friction. Um, and you, mm. you, those things are so salient to you, which is, which is so nice. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think things like apps and step counters are, are super useful, but I think people can just get addicted to reaching a kind of number mm. and then that's it. And it kind of feels a bit disconnected from that, that personal meaning and mm. that intrinsic motivation to me sometimes. It can feel that a bit kind of robotic yeah yeah and it's certainly always the first step I try with the app companies that I work with you know I'm, I'm always like no at the start before we're getting anyone to do anything we have to understand why they're here what brought them here in the first place you know what are they hoping to achieve out of this beyond the numbers how is it as you say personally meaningful for them why did they show up because otherwise they're going to use the app for a week two weeks they'll maybe track monitor really well but then they'll you know, fall off the wagon and they'll start to feel shame. And shame is one of those kind of big red lights in terms of behavior change. As soon as someone starts to feel shame, they disengage. And it's very then difficult to get them to re-engage because they'll feel like they've failed or they failed the app or they failed the program that they're on and they won't want to re-engage. And a lot of these apps, they don't actually allow people an exit strategy and a re-entry strategy. You kind of feel like once you're out, you're out and that the door is closed then and you can't come back in. And, and in real life, you know, we all fail multiple times because you fail your way to the top. That's how you do it. And so, you know, actually these failures should be encouraged from the start. But the very first step is knowing why people have showed up in the first place, what's meaningful for them, and how do then we make it easy as possible for them to engage with their habits or behaviours. Never thought of it in terms of apps. If you sort of miss a day or or don't upload something or don't do an mm. exercise, then then you can feel like it's more shameful to, to re-enter or you yeah. can feel castigated rather than welcomed and reinforced for actually coming back to the app or coming back to the bike or the activity or whatever it might be yeah I always say like it's kind of like friendship you know you've got to treat it like friendship but friendship you don't start asking someone's stats straight away you know when you first meet them <laughs> um and then over time as well you, you know when an old friend comes to the door and you haven't seen them in a while what reaction do you have when they show up you certainly don't like drag your feet 
you certainly get excited for them coming back, you know, and you reward that behavior because you enjoy spending time with them. And I think it's important to understand that when you're an app, you have to think about it like you're a human, like, you know, and you have mm. to welcome people back in a normal way that you would interact with a human. You have to be a friend first and foremost. And I think that's what a lot of these apps miss is that ability to actually, and I'm not saying pretend to be someone that you're not, I'm just saying be a friend to someone and actually allow them to have slippages, allow them to bounce back even more so, reward them for bouncing back because it's the bouncing back, you know, that bounce back ability that's so key. Gosh, thank you. Now we're going to continue our conversation in in part two where we'll delve more into your work, but I just wanted to, to press pause now and ask you, a question I ask all my guests, which is about your song choice. This song choice that would announce your arrival in a room, whether it's a real room or a virtual room, uh, for the next few weeks. It doesn't have to be forever, but where you are in your life right now, what song choice would that be? I, yeah, I, I thought about I went for a walk with my mom this afternoon and I was thinking about this question. And uh, I, it's just a song came to me. Now, this isn't necessarily the biggest crowd pleaser. You know, it's not going to get people up and out of their seats if I was arriving in a room. But I think it's a song, as you say at the end there, that represents my life right now. Um, and that's Whitney Houston, The Greatest Love. Um, oh. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's, it's kind of because I've been working a lot on self-compassion and I, I, I'm giving a talk in a couple of weeks to NHS carers on, on self-compassion. And it's, it's, a, it's actually, I call it the secret habit because for me, you know, compassion underlies all of your habit change and your ability to maintain habits long term is often correlated with your ability to express compassion towards yourself. And, you know, it kind of intertwines with all we're talking about in terms of being able to pick yourself back up and be a coach rather than a critic and all of those important things. But I think the lyrics of it really just represent that really well. Um, I, I don't know if you know it well, Ross, or you want me to read you a little bit of the lyrics there? I, I know it. I know it pretty well. Yeah. I think I know how it starts. Go I'm going to have a, a little go. Yay. Excuse me, P-Supers, but... I believe the children are our future. Treat them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laugh. See, I, I lied. I actually know it all. But yeah. um, that's the one, isn't it? Yeah. I haven't got a... Oh, thank goodness. And it's, it's especially the, the chorus. Can you, can you start on I Decided Long Ago? I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all. Now, I'm not sure whether I got all those lyrics you right. Woo. Yes, because yeah, I just love it because it's like the greatest love of all is happening in me. It's inside of me, you know. And mm. it, it's like she talks about like learning to love yourself. Essentially, is the greatest love of all. Um, and you know, we're the only person we're going to be with for our entire lives, and so you know, we we don't really pause. And I know you do this so well at your work, Ross. But a lot of us don't pause to think about, well, how do we treat that relationship, and and what is that relationship? with ourselves and how do we cultivate the greatest love with ourselves and um, throughout our lives. 
Hey Supers, that's it, part one of my chat with Heather in the bag. Thanks so much, Heather, for being so open and generous in our conversation. There's more to look forward to in part two next week, where we delve more into Heather's work on healthy habits that stick. And just to be clear, Heather's song choice when she walks into a room over the next few weeks, it will be the Whitney version that plays, not mine, just in case anyone was worried. You'll find all the useful links in the show notes, particularly Heather's website, drheathermckee.co.uk. We'd love to get your reviews, so please let us know what you think on the socials or drop me an email or a voice note on WhatsApp. If you like this episode of the podcast, please could you do three things. Number one, share it with one other person. Number two, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review, whatever platform you're on, and particularly if you're on Apple Podcasts. The Apple charts are really important in the podcast industry. And number three, share the heck out of it on the socials. This will all help us reach more people with stuff that could be useful. I'd love to hear from you, and you can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod. On Instagram, at people.soup. And on Facebook, we are at peoplesouppod. Thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and Alex Engelberg for his vocals. Most of all, dear listener, thanks to you. Look after yourselves, peace supers, and bye for now. Do you want anything? No, I've still got my cold tea. Oh, no, no, don't do that to yourself. Do you like it? Mmm, it's like nectar. Oh, stop, that's disgusting. That's <laughs> awful. Mm. I could drink cold coffee, but I could never drink cold tea. Mmm. And I love tea. Like, I'm like, I would have like five, six, seven different types of tea in a day. You know, I'm obsessed with different teas, not all caffeinated, because otherwise I'd be bouncing off the walls.